Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Well, this is the book of Revelation, session 28. This session is entitled The Worthy One. And uh, for those of you who are either new uh, with us on uh, this study or those who are joining online for the first time, uh, we have been going through the book of Revelation looking at the different themes that are in the book. And that's a little bit different than going verse by verse because what we're trying to do in this thematic study of the book of Revelation is see where different ideas that show up in the book show up again and again, we want to see those in their context, we want to kind of paint this story together, build a, a common uh, storyline together of what it is that the Word has to say. So tonight we're going to be talking about Jesus, the Worthy One, revealed in the 22 chapters of the book of Revelation. And so uh, I'm going to read the little intro um, uh, paragraph. I do this from time to time when I know I just wrote it better than I'm probably going to be able to re-say it, so I'm going to just go ahead and read it. The fact of his worth, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. The fact of Jesus' worth, but we're going to look at that fact as revealed in the book of Revelation. It's a major theme found in the book. The major theme is the immeasurable worth of Christ. It cannot be measured. There is too much to who he is to be measured. It's uh, not uh, qualifiable. It is too big. It is immeasurable. His immeasurable worth. The primary purpose for worship, the only reason that we need for worship, the only reason is his immeasurable worth. If we have even the the beginning of understanding that Jesus' worth is so big it can't even be counted, it can't be measured, if we have that revelation, we're going to be okay. That's the primary motivation, the primary uh, purpose and reasoning for why we would worship him. So it's not actually because he's done good things for us, though that's part of his immeasurable worth. It's not actually uh, only because he saved us. That's part of his worth. But it's, it's so much bigger. It's that he's incomparable. There's no one like him. He's worthy. Nothing compares to him, not in all of creation. Nothing is as fascinating as Jesus. No one is as beautiful as he is. No one is as majestic, having that majesty, that that power, that Lord uh, quality. No one is as holy. No one is like him. So as we see him revealed in the book of Revelation, we are looking at attributes of his immeasurable worth, and it actually causes us to declare that he's worthy. It causes us to praise. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about all the places in the book of Revelation that they just can't help themselves but praise Him. And then what does that mean for us? He is due immeasurable praise. You guys are probably familiar with the verse in Romans eleven thirty six, but I feel like Revelation 1 through 22 is an exclamation point on what is being proclaimed in Romans eleven thirty six. Eleven thirty six says, For from Him and through Him and for Him, are all things. If it's a thing, it's of, for, and through him. To him, as a result of everything being of, for, and through him, to him be the glory forever. I see the book of Revelation as giving us reason after reason, uh, uh, context after context, praiser after praiser, 
all throughout the book of Revelation, helping us to see the reality of this Romans 11.36, that he is worthy of worship because everything was, is by, from, through, to, for him. We know this. We know Matthew 22.37, the, the great commandment. Not just that God wants worship, but that we shall love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. A time is coming when we actually will love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The good news of this is, if you feel weak and broken like me, and sometimes your yes to Jesus is a small yes, and you feel like your worship could be a little stronger, you feel like your lifestyle, your commitment, your fill-in-the-blank, dot, 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 could be a little stronger, I've got good news for you. If you just keep loving Him, a day is coming when you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You will love Him with all of it. He will empower you to do that. In the age to come, you will be full-on worshipers and lovers of Jesus with everything you've got in the fullest extent. Well, here's what's really cool about that. Currently, there is a host in heaven around the throne doing it. They are the current reality of our future promise. They are currently loving God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's happening real time right now. And it's a picture of what will be for us. This is hope. This, I mean, the fact that it's happening means it can happen with something God created. And I am a something. I am glad that we have the picture in heaven of the immeasurable praise that Jesus is due, him getting it. Revelation 5.12, this is our future, and it is a currently, current heavenly reality. Around the throne, they sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. The very song we sang tonight. Good timing on that one, Daniel. This, this song is being sung around the throne constantly, and it is our future reality. It's even a seed within us now. This is part of our, our commitment of who we declare that he is, but who we will in full honesty with 100% commitment in every way that could possibly be fathomed, we will declare it in fullness. We will love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It is coming. This is the reality. When we see Jesus worshiped in this way in heaven, it actually gives us a picture of what we're striving towards, what we seek to be, what we're ascribing to become. Praise and glory ascribed to him forever. It's not just a passing fad. We live in such an interesting culture where the coolest thing ever is lame and old and forgotten a generation later. The coolest thing, the greatest actor, the best this, the best tasting that, a Popeye's chicken sandwich will be forgotten in just a short while. The greatest things ever, they come and they go, they're fads. That's how it is for everything except Jesus. Jesus will be praised forever in fullness. Not a half praise, not a little praise. All praise in the fullness of the engagement of the heart. The fullness of the engagement of the, of the human reality of creation. The fullness. He will be praised forever. Revelation seven twelve. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength. Again, that same verse that we were just looking at. Same verse we just got done singing. These things be to our God forever and ever. And you can just keep adding and evers. Forever. 
forever he will be receiving these things. This is who he is. He's immeasurable. There is not an army big enough. If you had an army of worshipers, they all had trumpets in hand and they could sing a lot better than me. And you had an army of them 10 trillion strong and they never stopped for a billion years, it would not reach the measure of what this man is due. It's immeasurable. There is no end to it. Part of the reason it goes on forever, it must. Because the song can't stop. Because he's still worthy of yet more. The immeasurable worth of this man, it's ascribed to him forever. These are revelation verses. We're we're seeing the revelation of Jesus in the scripture, in the book of Revelation. It's part of the reason that this book, the book of Revelation, which as we looked at in a previous session, is actually called the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's one of the reasons that this book can be called his revelation. The book is about worshiping Jesus. The book is about his immeasurable worth. The book is about this one who is worthy, who is incredible. And so when we read the book of Revelation or the revelation of Jesus Christ, it is right that we would see not just the judgments, that we would not just see the the end time storyline. We would see Jesus worshipped throughout the book of Revelation, that we would see this as far more than a judgment book. We would see it as a worship text. The worship of Jesus Christ, oh yeah, and here's a few of the things that he does, and that he is, and that he has planned for the end times, that are all part of how worthy this man is. The book is about him. It's a worship Jesus book. (laughs) That's really what the book of Revelation is. It's the reason that it can be a blessing declared on those that just read it. Because it's a worship Jesus book. If you're all about Jesus, you want to be all about this book. You want to get the revelation of Jesus in you, not just at a surface level. It's the reason we're spending the time that we're spending in this series or in this, in this uh, course, this study, because we want to get it in us. We don't want to just have a, an overview. We want it deep within us. Jesus, in the future, in heaven now, but in the future on earth, will be worshipped as the King of Kings. Give you a couple of verses there, the Revelation 17, 14, Revelation 19, 16. They both say the same thing in the book of Revelation, and it says it elsewhere as well. But in the book of Revelation, Jesus is declared as a time is coming where all of the human kings, anybody that's a king on the earth, and we've got some of those now and some presidents that we throw in the same category. They're they're the dude or, or gal over a nation. The kings will all declare Jesus the king of the king meetings. So when all the kings get together and they're at a big table, they look and they go, who's our leader? Jesus. He is the king of kings. That's what that title means. He's called the king of kings. Well, I gave you here in this 1 Timothy 6, 13 through 16, middle of the page here on page 2 if you're in the notes. Paul says this. He says, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring in his own time. God, the blessed And only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who is alone the immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him, to this guy that just fit the bill that that Paul just described, to this guy, to him be honor and might forever. Part of the reason that we will give honor and might to Jesus forever is because he is the King of kings. There is no one bigger than him. He is top dog. He is alpha on the totem pole. He, the pyramid does not have a one step higher than him. 
He is the king of kings and he will be forever. As the king of kings, he is worthy of our praise. He is not a human king merely. He is the king over all things. And he is worthy of praise, but not just praise. I love the book of Psalms, this song book that we have, and the way that it talks about the way we ought to engage Jesus, the way that we ought to sing of him. Look at it. It's all these all words. It's all these deep-seated you know, human emotions. It's not uh, the top layer stuff. It's the deep stuff. Look at this, Psalm 86. <coughs> I will praise you, Lord, my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. All my heart forever. Psalm 103.1. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise your holy name. Psalm 111.1. Praise the Lord. I'll extol the Lord with all my heart. I will have my heart all of my heart, jumping, praising, leaping, extolling the Lord. These verses describing the reality of what he's due. He is due endless praise. And all the nations will worship him. That's what's going to eventually happen. When you're the king of kings, a time is coming for Jesus where that will be manifest in the flesh, in the natural, on earth, in every way, where every eye will see, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Not just that Jesus is Lord in a uh, duty sort of a way, but they will confess it in worship. Look what it says. Revelation 15, 3-4. Again, we're in Revelation. We're trying to see the worthy one in the book of Revelation. We want the book of Revelation to scream to us about the worth of this man. Revelation 15, 3-4. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true your ways, King of the nations. There's that King of Kings thing again. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. They'll worship. It's not just going to be that they're, they're stuck and they must say Jesus is Lord. They're going to worship. They're going to see the worthy one and they're going to give him what he's due. A day is coming. The book of Revelation is actually about the process of getting Jesus what he's due. All praise. This is a glorious book. We must see this the way that it was written, the intent that it's supposed to be for the human heart. The book of Revelation is supposed to be fuel. The book of Revelation is supposed to be a, a clear uh, picture painted of Jesus, this, the identity of the king who is worthy of all praise. All right, let's go to the next page, top of page three. Worthy because of his appearance. Now, this is something we focused on a good bit already in previous sessions, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. In fact, I only gave you, I don't know, maybe three or four uh, different uh, aspects of his appearance. Now, when we were studying his appearance before, we were just trying to put together all the details to see who he is in the book of Revelation. But what I want us to do now is I want us to think about how these details uh, portray his worth, portray him as glorious, that by looking at him, it just reaches into our soul and causes us to want to praise him. It's not just a, a, a study of, you know, what the, the outward appearance of a man looks like. The appearance of Jesus causes our hearts to leap. The picture that's painted of him in Revelation, it's what he looks like uninhibited. It's what he looks like with the veil pulled back. And so because we've spent a good amount of time on that, we're just going to look at a few uh, pieces here. 
First is he's the slain lamb. Revelation 13, 8 and 5, 6 both say similarly, the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. 5, 6 says, I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. So we see that part of his appearance, part of the way that he looks, he doesn't even look in the fullness of, uh, of his, the revelation of who he is. It includes lambliness. It includes him looking like a lamb. But a lamb who was slain, not just a lamb that's defenseless, a lamb that has already laid his life down for us. Part of his appearance is forever he's wearing his most faithful act. Forever he is wearing the fact, the reality that he's a slain lamb, that he died for you and I. Not just that there's holes in his hands that are the visible marks, but there's a piece of him that we're forever by appearance. I don't know exactly how this works. I don't know if it's like a, you know, a hologram image where it's like in one moment it looks this way, in one moment it looks that way, and, and in some cases it looks both the same. We don't know exactly how this goes. We just know that when John sees Jesus in the book of Revelation, he frequently describes him as a lamb, but then he also in Revelation 19 clearly describes him as a man riding on a horse. So it's not a lamb on top of a horse riding back, pulling a sword out of his mouth. It's a man. So there's this back and forth between there's this clear depiction. He's a lamb. He's wearing the glory of his sacrifice forever. He's we- it's a constant reminder if we ever stop to, if we ever forget or, or start to forget in the ages to come, oh, he's a king, he's a leader. But if we ever stop and, and begin to forget the fact that he's a lamb, he's wearing it. It's part of his image. It's part of who he is. That forever we see him in the glory of the sacrifice that bought us. In the most uh, humble act of God becoming a man and dying on a cross for sins he didn't commit. It's unbelievable. It is part of his glory and it's why when we see him we're just worthy, holy. It's part of what causes that deep unto deep from deep within our souls to declare his majesty. Because he's wearing the reality of who he is as the lamb. Next. He has the appearance of gemstones. Who looks like a lamb and a diamond at the same time? That is so like sci-fi. That is unbelievable. Man, lamb, diamond. I mean, it's like, how do you pull all that off? The appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. The one who sat there had the appearance. I gave you uh, three different um, uh, translations because we get three different gems because they can't exactly decide what the second one is. First one says Carnelian. Second time it says uh, in uh, the, the NIV, uh, the most recent translation, says Ruby. But in the NASB, it says Sardius. And so there's a, some debate on what these are. But one of the things that's really cool about this, whatever gems they are, the first one is Jasper in all three. Whatever these gems are, in all cases, they are part of the foundation stones of the New Jerusalem. So part of his appearance is tied to the city that he rules in heaven. So God's like making the city. God the Father is designing heaven. And he's, his, his son is carrying some of the reflective qualities, some of the gemstone-ness of the city that he's building. It's almost like God looks at, the, the Father looks at the son as like, I was looking for what we were going to do on floor three. I think I'm going to take that aspect of your character, your nature, your, your eminence, what you're, you know, emanating. Like, I, I, I like that. Let's make that part of the city. And Jesus is like, 
forever. The city of heaven looks like Jesus. It's just, that's so cool. But again, I just go back to who looks like a gemstone? Jesus. So again, that whole hologram idea, like how, how do I see him as a man, but I also see him as having the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. He is so mysterious and majestic and layered in glory. You can't see the revelation in Revelation 4, the revelation of Jesus, and not be just in awe of his beauty, of his appearance. He's unbelievably beautiful and mysterious, intriguing. I mean, our, we're just led into it. Like, how do you look like a man and a gem and a lamb? How? How? He's glorious. And an emerald rainbow encircles him. Or rather, a rainbow like an emerald encircles him. There's a lot of, a lot can be said there. This, this rainbow all around is the picture. Perhaps emerald is the color, or perhaps emerald is the way that it wraps over him. That he would be in the center, and it is, it's like a rainbow coming at him from every direction. This is glorious. Who is like this? Who is like this? Man, there's no one like this. There's no one in all of history. This is way cooler than Taylor Swift, I'm telling you. This is like unbelievable, incomparable. There is no one like, there is no one like this. Not even a trillionth like this. Who has this appearance? Who has this description? Who emanates light and has fire coming out from his throne? And, and, and no one, no one completely other than. He's wholly other than. Unlike anyone we know. And so we see him and we go, worthy, you're the worthy one. You're holy, you're good, you're you. Dot, 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 lots of dots. You. There's no one like him. So part of the reason he's worshipped is, have you seen him? Just look at the guy. You worship him because you must. Your soul cannot help it because the created recognizes the creator. The created sees the glory on him. Many other descriptions in the book of Revelation that we just don't have time for tonight. It's not our main focus. You can go back and read other sessions or uh, listen to the, the teachings. Everyone praises him. Of course everyone praises him. I mean, with this description, of course. But it's so fun to watch in the book of Revelation the point being made again and again that like, Everybody who sees him or encounters him or who's near him or who hears about him or who gets saved by him or whatever, they just, it's like praise just gushes forth. It's like they can't stop themselves. And it's a point that's made repeatedly in the book of Revelation. It's not an off point. Heaven not, never stops praising or proclaiming his worth. Revelation 4, 8 through 10 and 19, 4 both tell us the same thing. I'm going to give you the shorter version because they both say the same thing. But one is at the beginning of Revelation. And one is at the end. I want to read you the end one, Revelation 19.4. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down. They worshiped God who was seated on the throne and they cried, Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. They are praising God. So they're, they're seeing him and they're praising him as a result. This is, this is really cool. But I just want to give you a, a little bit of an insight, a window. The 24 elders, by... Every reason that we have, they appear to be human. They appear to be human. 
and they're around the throne worshiping him. So you could say these are the 24 main human worship leaders in heaven. Okay? But then you've got these four living creatures, and they're of an angelic order, probably seraphim. Okay? You've got these four angels, if you will, that are worshiping him. And they are like the premier angelic worship leaders in heaven. So around the throne, you've got the 24, like, main, primary, highest ranking humans worshiping him. And you've got the main ranking, highest ranking angelic order, whatever. They're worshiping him. So when we see in the book of Revelation that these two groups again and again and again are worshiping him with all their might, and it's not like they're unfamiliar with him, yet they encounter him and they fall down. So the ones that are the most familiar with him, they're the closest in proximity, they've done this whole worship set thing before. They just keep falling down and like declaring glory and and praise and honor. This is a picture of that which all the angels and all mankind will do. These are two uh, uh, depictions These are two very real groups, but these groups, they are like the main leaders of which everyone else follows suit. They all declare his worth. Not just those, but every creature. I just love it when creatures start praising. Revelation 5.13, I heard every creature in heaven. What is up there? What all is up there? We know there are horses. Because Jesus and the saints ride back on horses. So heaven has horses. Horses are creatures. What does it sound like when 10 million horses start neighing praise to Jesus together? It says right here, I heard every creature in heaven. And this is the same John that writes John chapter 19 who tells us about horses. And they're coming out of heaven. So John hears horses neighing. Some sort of praise neigh. Neigh spray. Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and the sea and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. John hears the song of every creature. What does that even sound like? But he's worth it. It's, there was no convincing. It was everyone when given the full disclosure of who he is, Creatures start singing. Creatures. Everything in the sea. Fishes are blubbing. Fishes and everything. Crickets. Everything is praising him. And it's not, it's, we've made that verse and that concept, which is repeated over and over in the word. We've made it to mean absolutely nothing. We have made that verse and that concept to mean nothing. You know, it it just means all people. No, it it says specifically non-people. Non-humans praising Jesus. Non-people. Bugs and stuff. Flowers, fields, trees. Praising him. Because he's worth it. The book of Revelation is the declaration of Jesus' worth. The martyrs that are before the throne. Revelation 6.10. They declare he is holy and true. They They are worshiping him. Even in the midst of their ache and their longing and that which has not yet been made right, they're still waiting for their retribution. They're waiting for their justice. And while they're waiting, they're calling him sovereign Lord, holy and true. They're worshiping him. Even though they've not gotten what they want, I think all of us could learn a little lesson from the martyrs in heaven. 
learning a little lesson from those who are before the throne who suffered greatly. They lost their lives because of their testimony for Jesus. That's how you got to this, to be one of these Revelation 6.10 guys or gals. You had to have died for Jesus. And furthermore, the retribution has not yet been uh, made real. The justice hasn't come yet. How many times in our lives are we in those moments where we've not yet seen the promise? We've not yet seen the fulfillment. We've been wronged. We had somebody do something to us. You know, maybe you sold your car and you forgot to take the toll tag off. And then, then they resold the car and then the new guy ran up 300-something dollars in toll tags. You know, just it could be something like that. That could be somebody out there, maybe. And you just wait and you go, oh, God, how sovereign Lord, how long? You know, there's, there are all these moments of waiting that we have here in this life that the Lord is seeing. And he is good, he is worthy, even the martyrs in heaven are declaring his worth and his goodness. And all nations, gave you that a minute ago, but now from a different angle, Revelation 15, 4, think about this. The future reality, the eventuality of all nations, all nations, meaning all humans, meaning all free willers, everybody that's got a free will, everybody. Who will not fear you, Lord? And who will not bring glory to your name? You alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. A time is coming when all humans will worship him. For real. It won't be a a picture that we have in Revelation of a future reality. It will be a current reality where you go, hey, are you alive? Yeah, I'm alive. Have you worshipped him? You bet. How do, how do you know? Because well, I'm alive. And everybody that's alive has worshipped him. This whole Jesus is glorified reality has become a visible daily presence in the age to come. And at that point, everyone, all nations will come and they will worship him. Because he's worthy. He's worthy. Reasons he's worshipped. He's worshipped because he's the one who created all things. Revelation 4.11 He's worshipped because he made heaven. (laughs) I actually really like that one. Revelation 14, 7. He's worshipped not just because he created all things, which that one we could unpack and spend hours on. He created all things. But then it gives us even, he created heaven. Heaven is the greatest place in the universe. It's created by God. It's, It's got God as the light bulb in it. It's big, it's glorious, everything about it. There's no sign, crying, dying. There's no pain. It's the most incredible place, and God made that place. We worship God because he created heaven, which, oh yeah, by the way, is your future home forever. You will have that as your home, your dwelling place forever. Whatever your current address is or how many times you've moved, I can promise you you're going to get a future permanent address in heaven forever, and we will praise him forever. We'll walk outside of our doors and just look around and smell the air and go, Wow, yes, good, good job, good idea. Wow, those birds are really cool looking. I mean, we're going to look around and just be in awe forever of our address, praising God forever because of the reality of heaven. It's one of the reasons that we worship him. I want to skip down. I gave you a few more reasons there. I want to skip down to number six. I just want to touch on this for a couple of minutes, then we'll break into groups. Jesus is worthy to open the scroll. Now, we don't much think about the scroll, 
But the scroll in heaven is like a really, really big deal. The scroll in heaven is bigger than Kanye's recent release. Okay? The scroll in heaven is the talk of the town and has been for generations and generations and generations. This scroll, if it's not one that you're familiar with, you want to know about it because everyone in heaven is talking about the scroll. The scroll is a really, really big deal in heaven. Let's look at it. It has profound implications. This scroll, everybody knows about it. Everybody's waiting for it. Everybody's uh, uh, thinking about the contents of it. Everybody understands what happens when that scroll is finally unraveled. It is the talk of heaven. And while it might not yet be the talk of, of earth and of mankind, we want to be more heavenly minded. We want to grow up a little bit because this scroll is a really big deal in heaven. It's the most revered document in creation. There is no document that is more revered. There is no document that has got more uh, talk about it, more uh, uh, power behind it, more impact on the earth, more partnership with the bride of Christ. This is a really big deal kind of a document. And no one is found worthy to touch it. No one is found worthy to hold it. All of heaven knows what it is. It's got serious end-time ramifications. And when we say end-time ramifications, really a better way would be all the angels are waiting for the age to change. There are lots of ages in the future, and the angels are aware, and they know what has to happen for this current age to transition to the next, which then opens up the whole can of worms for a bunch of ages after that. The angels are waiting for the transition of the age. They've been waiting quite some time, all the years of man. They've been waiting, and there's this document that must be unraveled. The seals on that document must be broken. And no one is worthy to touch it. And so we see it here. Revelation 5, 3 through 5. Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even peep inside it. I wept and I wept. Can you imagine John seeing this? And it's causing him to weep. As an aged apostle, he's probably in his 90s. He's having this encounter, and he's weeping because he's seeing the reality. This is the most important document in heaven, and we can't touch it. We can't open it. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll at its seals. Revelation 5, 9, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals with your blood. You purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus is found worthy. The lamb who was slain. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive wealth or to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. They're singing this song. You are worthy. You're the worthy one. You are worthy. No one was found worthy. You are. There's no one like you. Jesus is the worthy one. And he takes it and he opens it 
And so starts the Great Tribulation time clock. The time clock of the end of the age. The transition, not just of the next age. The transition that all of creation has been groaning and waiting for. The time when the Lamb, the worthy one, will stop being in heaven only. And start being on the earth in glory. Reforming this, uh, this present world. Creating the government of the kingdom of heaven on the earth. This is the biggest deal ever and it's tied to a scroll, and the scroll can't be opened except by the worthy one. Jesus is the worthy one. Okay, let's break up into groups. Okay, so we're uh, transitioning back now. We're going to do our uh, time of Q&A for uh, this session. We just uh, got done with uh, session 28, the worthy one. So now we'll go to the groups and uh, get some questions here. Uh, why don't we start over here with you, Luke? So the question is, what's the scroll? Uh, so, uh, anybody who wants to know the answer to that, two things. We're going to do a whole session on it because it is a very important reality. Second, if you want to take notes, I'm going to give you three chapters to go read to find out a lot about the scroll. Okay? Daniel 12, Ezekiel 3, and Revelation 10. Daniel 12, Ezekiel 3, and Revelation 10 all talk about this same scroll. It is a scroll of the end time timeline. It is a scroll of the, the, uh, the most definitive um, uh, marking point of chronological time related to uh, the end times. So this scroll, when it's opened up, you then begin to read the end time storyline. And the reason that it's in Daniel 12, Ezekiel 3, and Revelation 10 is because the church of the last days has to eat it. The church of the last days has to devour this scroll. We must get revelation of what is on this scroll so that we can then be those that like Daniel, Ezekiel, and John, and really even the two witnesses in uh, Revelation chapter 10, these prophets are prophesying and declaring what's on the scroll. And so it is an hour where the church needs to be gaining understanding about the scroll. So I, I uh, kind of tricked you with that last question um, in the hopes that you would turn around and ask it right back. So that worked out great. Um, great question. All right, uh, Andy. The, the question <laughs> question was, <laughs> since their question was already about the scroll, do I prefer Popeye's chicken sandwich or Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich? I haven't had Popeye's yet, but I anticipate it being wonderful, and they're building one across the street from my house, and as soon as that Popeye's chicken is done, I will eat it. So, <clears throat> um, so well, 
anyway, I'm, I am certain it, it will be great. Okay, so, uh, okay, next question. If Jesus is worthy of 24-7 worship of constant praise, uh, why is there a 30-minute period in Revelation 8 um, where, uh, sil- where heaven is silent? Uh, why is that? Uh, great question. Um, I have some ideas. Uh, I'm not sure that there is a, a clear definitive answer that I'm aware of, but I- I'll share some ideas. Um, so what we have in Revelation 8 is the... The previous, there are seven seals that are, uh, are stamped on this scroll that we were just reading about or talking about. And each one of these seven seals is broken and then stuff happens on the earth. And then once the thing is finally open, then the, the fullness of the end time revelation is then uh, um, uh, being unfolded. We, we could say it that way. The seventh seal is the, the point where this 30-minute period of silence in heaven is occurring. And, uh, and so it's, I think one point to be made is it is supposed to be the most obnoxious silence in human history. I mean, when you're talking about the, the main symphony of the universe has been playing constantly, and all of a sudden there's a stop, that is not a stop unnoticed by angels, demons, birds any i mean everybody hears feels the silence the shift and so it's supposed to be the most dramatic pause it's also where the transition is occurring where now the lamb because it's jesus who's opening these seals jesus opens his own silence seal okay jesus is the one that opens the seventh seal and when he does it goes quiet for 30 minutes this is the transition point of jesus making ready in a very short period of time to come and begin to rule and reign on the earth for real for the first time in human history. Jesus has always been the future king of the earth who is in heaven, who it's his title, but he has not been acting out in that job description. So we're a minute away from that. Uh, I heard, and I even heard uh, Caitlin bring it up, I've heard before the thought process of the fullness of the prayer movement on the earth which has been in its infant stage or even worse for all of human history. It has been in its infant stage or not even existent throughout human history. And we're reaching a point where at the crescendo of the end of the age, Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. Uh, Amos 9-11 and then also Acts 15 both declare that I'm going to restore David's tabernacle in the earth, but this time it's going to be all the Gentiles who seek my name. So we're talking about a billion or two billion saints at the end of the age now fulfilling the commission of constant prayer and worship on the earth. And so in a thought process and how how um, is this the point of the passage? I don't know, but it, I can see it as at least part of what's written into the passage. Similarly to when we move the fire from this room to upstairs or from upstairs to here, there's a transfer of the real fire on the altar. There's a transfer moment where we're real intentional. I mean, 
we go through great lengths to make sure that the fire on the altar never goes out, and we do transfer it from room to room. We, currently, it's not in this room, and it will be here in just a few minutes. And we've got the section leader up there to make sure it transitions right. It's the same fire, but it's transferred. I think in a similar way, part of what could at least be said in the expression of is Jesus being praised uh, in fullness uh, night and day? Is he being praised by the multitudes? Is he being praised uh, by his creation? <laughs> there is a moment where Malachi 1.11, incense arising from all the nations, from the rising and the setting of the sun, is going to be a reality on the earth. And so if ever there was a moment where it could stop in heaven for a minute, it's because the torch had been passed to the earth, to the church. So I don't know, is that the fullness of what's being communicated in Revelation chapter 8 uh, related to the silence in heaven? I don't know, but it's, it is part of the storyline. All of that is happening. All of that is uh, occurring in that same moment. So, okay, well, with that, uh, we're going to transition the fire back here into this prayer room. So if I can have a worship leader come on up, I'm going to pray for us. And then as soon as I'm done praying, if you guys don't mind helping me get the chairs back where they go, you know, as we study the book of Revelation... We want more than head knowledge. We want our hearts to be moved by this stuff. We want to have growing clarity. We want for there to be nights like tonight where we're asking hard questions and where we're asking the Holy Spirit to take us further. My hope is that these nights and these nuggets, these little teachings that we're getting on Saturday nights, that you're not forgetting about them and moving on, but that they're making it into your worship life. They're making it into your devotional life. They're making it into some of your decision-making and even some of your discipleship opportunities. That we're taking these foundational realities of the book that says there is a declared blessing on just reading it. And that we're applying it into life now. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.